And we are live. Welcome, everybody, to Post Wrestling's WrestleMania Post Show. Night two. Night two. Chicago Ridge. How is everybody doing? Welcome to our live post show as we recap the second offering of WrestleMania 36. How are you doing tonight, Way? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Um, today. Was this, was this a mad dash to go live for you? Uh, it was. It was, you know, but that's that's part of the excitement. Of, you know, live broadcasting. So I'm happy to provide it. Well, that's the, that's the joy that we have, that we can go live. We're recording remotely, and yet I feel connected to everyone. I had a lot of fun doing last night's show. Looking forward to tonight. We have lots to discuss. I have put out some polls. I am a big fan of polls. Um, if, the, if this is any kind of gauge, uh, moments after the Boneyard match, uh, we went on the air. And within about 15 minutes, I had 2,000 votes. Since that Firefly Funhouse match ended, I'm at over 3,000 votes way. So, granted, this uh, did have that buffer of that uh, that marathon main event uh, in between. But nonetheless, I'm sure we will discuss the Firefly Funhouse uh, a lot on tonight's show. But we're going to run through the, uh, the card, and then we're going to open up. The Skype lines, so you can chime in and give us your thoughts, not just on night two. Do you think, after watching it, did two nights work? Did you prefer night one versus night two? And we can also look ahead to what all of this means. What what can be learned from this bizarre WrestleMania experiment uh, that they can apply to a regular WrestleMania in the future? Absolutely. And just to clarify, we're not taking calls quite yet, so uh, do not call in just yet. Wait after the after recap. The review, uh, and then we'll, we'll have plenty of time for everybody's calls. But uh, I guess uh, anything to get into before you want to get into the review, John? Well, um, I'm going to ask you off the top. Uh, do you want to talk about the Edge documentary at all on tonight's show, or do you want to save that? Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to watch it yet. Okay, well, let's let's definitely talk about that on Monday. I have watched it. It's fantastic so if any callers want to talk about it i'm i'm fine to uh, discuss it it is among the better documentaries i've ever seen the wwe put out so i'm not trying to set your expectations very high way but i think they'll be met i i i can tell they they will be it's a longer one i know like an hour it, 15 something like that yes and I, I guess one of the most newsworthy things in it is edge confirming you know the reports that had been out there that uh there was interest from another wrestling company for him to come and wrestle that they inquired after seeing him do the spear to Elias at SummerSlam, which was an impromptu spot by edge. And he, I guess engaged in, it it was willing to accept an offer, but told them, and he never names AEW, but I think everyone can put two and two together said that once I get this offer, I do have to go to Vince McMahon with it because Vince has always been very good to me and ultimately he struck the deal with WWE. But that part, that was in the documentary. Very interesting. Um, And I think that coupled with the knowledge that he did that spear without necessarily receiving clearance, I mean, kind of weaves the narrative that he kind of got himself a job. When you see Beth Phoenix's reaction backstage after that, when she's with Edge, yeah, like she is furious and is not going to. She knows there's a camera on her and is just pretty much trying to stay calm on camera, but she is not happy when that happens. Mm. All so, right. um, yeah, let's definitely. I, I'm sure you'll want to discuss that. So uh, let's let's plan to do that on Monday night. But we have a lot of WrestleMania talk to get into, so I think we can just start there, going into the card. 
How did you feel going into tonight's show after night one? Because I I, I really enjoyed night one and looking back on it today, I, I thought that it was, you know, we had those low expectations going in. They were certainly exceeded. Uh, did that increase any of your interest for tonight's show? I think I had higher expectations for tonight's show. I mean, not necessarily higher, but I would say I was more optimistic about tonight's show. Going into yesterday's show without the only thing we really had to go 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 on was the quality of Raw and the quality of SmackDown leading into it. And I think you know I speak for most people in saying that those shows have been largely disappointing. So how would three hours or four hours of of a Raw or a SmackDown? Or, or really a combined eight hours. How would that look? And I don't think a lot of people were looking forward to it. Everybody, for, well, not everybody, but I would say the vast majority of people after yesterday seemed greatly impressed with the quality of the matches as well as the presentation of the Boneyard match. And so going into it, I was certainly a bit more relieved, or at least I, I was a bit more optimistic about um, you know the maintain that maintaining that same level of quality tonight. Yeah, I, th- I think that, that a lot of people would uh, kind of agree with that assessment. Did you think, like, after last night, were you good with, with one night? Do you think that two nights was uh, a smart idea this year? I absolutely think it was a smart idea. Um, was I good with one night? Uh, I, I was, but at the same time, I think the majority of your, your bigger matches were taking place on this night. You had, mm-hmm. you know, Edge versus Orton on this night, Drew versus Brock. And then, you know, by the, by this point, the Firefly Funhouse match, I think, had re- real heightened expectations and at least a big deal of curiosity. So all those matches combined, I would say I, I, I you know, I was looking forward to seeing this show. Yeah, I was the same. I, I was pretty satisfied after last night. Had it just been last night, I think I would have been, okay, this, this turned out better than I thought. But um, certainly... The most hyped up matches were tonight. Well, I would say Edge and R- Randy Orton coming into this was the best promoted match of the entire weekend. And I think that's a pretty easy uh, mm-hmm. qualifier. So let us get into WrestleMania that started off with the kickoff show with, once again, Corey Graves and Peter Rosenberg teeing things up for us. And not a whole lot to talk about here on the kickoff show beyond the the lone match that was Natalia taking on Liv Morgan and Tom Phillips getting solo duty and this relied on a lot of Natalia kind of playing the older veteran to Liv Morgan and kind of just egging her on i got a real uh Mike Bullard feel uh from the wrestler out of Natalia <laughs> that's exactly going for yeah who, uh, working sure. out with uh Liv Morgan uh aka Billy Robinson I'm sure that's exactly what they're going for. Yeah. So Natalia is like getting the best of her saying, come on, I want to see what you've got. And she hit a discus lariat to Morgan off the apron. A surfboard was utilized. And then Morgan fights back. She hit like this weird version of the code breaker that Natalia kicked out from. And then Morgan landed a knee. Uh, and then it was uh, countered with a wheelbarrow and they start exchanging roll-ups and it ends with Morgan getting the momentum and catching Natalia at six minutes and 24 seconds. So Liv Morgan upsets Natalia. I thought this was a nice little match these two had. Like you said, it was very much a student versus teacher type of battle with Natalia kind of, you know, throwing things at Liv to, to test how far Liv has come. It, it felt like, you know, like a good match you could see two pe- like a, a teacher and student having in private in a dojo or something. I think Liv continues to look very, very improved. You know, she's, I would say, still far from the level you would trust her 
to be in, in a main event with, but at least she's so, showing like she's capable of improving, and ho- the hope is that she'll get there soon. Um, you know, I also thought with Natalia, this, you know, she happens to have a style that I would, I would say also fits well within this, uh, you know, sort of empty arena setting. Like the the type of match she had with Oscar, I don't know if you remember from several weeks back on Raw. You know, um, I love that match. It was like a very technical battle, but it didn't really get over with the crowd. I have to say. But that type of match within an empty arena setting, I think would have come across a lot better because you don't, you no longer have the criteria of like a crowd reaction determining whether or not your match was successful. And for somebody who, you know, hasn't necessarily had a great deal of story or character build behind her, like Natalia, I mean, you're really left with like in-ring ability and she certainly can excel at that. Yeah, this match was like a block of ice when it came to heat coming into it. I mean, it was a cold match that they pretty much had to work from scratch. It was the novelty of a match. Um, that said, I thought for a kickoff match, this was it was fine. It really, I think, showcases like Natalia being uh, in that that veteran role uh, to help a Liv Morgan uh, through this whole thing. And I'm with you. I think that ever since Liv Morgan has come back, you have seen those improvements uh, in her as well. So I thought this was, you know, a fine little match. Natalia afterwards um, just uh, played up how shocked she was. So we'll see if they play up any of that. They did a backstage segment with Dolph Ziggler, uh, leaving a voicemail for Mandy Rose, uh, apologizing profusely after the uh, the, mis- the mystery man had caught them on camera. And Sonya Deville walked in. Mandy Rose has not responded to either of them since Friday. And Kayla Braxton came in and they gave her a no comment. And called her uh, a TMZ reporter trying to get gossip out of them. It was really like the lone bit of like story build that they had on these kickoffs. And I would say maybe at least part of the reason was because number one, they had accessibility to, to these talents. And, and two, this was like the, the one storyline that did end up peaking on the final go home show before the, sh- the WrestleMania. Corey Graves then comes back after this segment and says his lesson don't ever mix business with your personal life. And Rosenberg just turns around and just looks at him for a minute. And this was a, this was a funny little bit that the two had. Renee Young, Booker T, and Christian previewed Orton and Edge. And then we go into the main card portion. Once again, opening with Stephanie McMahon. Uh, this was like the verbatim identical speech, except she inserted the word again twice into this. So it was a second uh, video. And then we got the exact same opening video from the night prior and more ACDC. So how did you like the video the second time, Way? I was surprised that they didn't maybe change something about it. I mean, maybe if they did, I didn't even notice because it felt very much the same with the same sort of uh, Jack Sparrow voice and then the rewinding and all that. Two nights in a row was a little bit much, but obviously when it was conceived, it probably wasn't meant to be two nights. And I guess they felt like they needed to, to air something. You know, for the, the fanfare. The last thing you want to send this this production team is, hey, we also need a separate video package on top of everything else you've got to produce for these two nights mm-hmm. and, and everything else they're doing. So, I mean, no harm, no foul. Rob Gronkowski opens up the show and he knows something about dropping the championship hammer on a Sunday. Right. Welcome to WrestleMania. Thank you, Rob. The show opened up with Rhea Ripley, Charlotte Flair for the NXT women's title, Tom Phillips, Byron Saxton on commentary. The beginning of this was Rhea Ripley uh, repeatedly asking Charlotte, really, Charlotte, really, 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 Charlotte, really. 
I was waiting for Charlotte to just say, really? Ripley hits the Riptide in the first two minutes and Flair kicked out, which was a bit of a pattern we would see in some of the matches uh, tonight of going for the big finish early on. Uh, Ripley was dominating her and mounted the back, used the body scissors, but then Flair snaps Ripley's leg on the rope and this begins her beatdown of the left knee. She wraps it around the post. Uh, Ripley is fighting back, but she's only got the one one good leg, lands a missile drop kick and gets a two count from that. Flair then goes back, chop blocking the knee, and Ripley is just trying to avoid the figure four by kicking her away. Ripley eventually gets to her feet, gets that standing cloverleaf, and Flair is posting up and broke free from that. And when Flair went for the moonsault off the top, Ripley gets her feet up. So Flair goes to the spear, Ripley kicks out of that, and it takes two attempts. But on the second try, Flair applies the figure four, and it's a struggle as she bridges up, getting the figure eight. And Rhea Ripley has to tap out at 20 minutes and 29 seconds. So Charlotte Flair is, once again, the NXT Women's Champion. I thought this was a very good match. You know, if we're going to, like, I thought this was better to me than Shayna, Shayna versus uh, Becky. If we're going to compare uh, title matches, I certainly liked it more than Braun Strowman and Goldberg. It was very hard fought. I thought they did a great job of, like, creating the feeling of a grudge. And I think Rhea did a really good job of creating that sense of desperation from fighting from underneath, you know, what is kind of positioned as, like, the Michael Jordan of this division. At times, I felt like her yelling while she was selling was a little over the top. You know, a little too, like, maybe Will Ospreay, maybe at, at his, like, worst. Um, but ultimately, I did find it very effective. Um, and I thought Charlotte led an excellent match here. Um, very, very, you know, very good-looking offense working on that knee. Uh, but I was surprised that, like, again, just by Rhea Ripley, considering her, her level of experience, how comfortable and confident she is in this sort of lead role. Uh, both as a character and also in ring here. She, she like, this felt like a high-level main event. And for somebody who just, you know, like, is still kind of, like, I would consider to be kind of in de- developmental. Like, she is just fantastic. So, were you surprised by the outcome? No, I, I wasn't too surprised by it. Um, I, I can see the argument of putting the title on Charlotte and her having more of a presence in NXT and on Raw. And conversely, I can see this opening things up for Rhea Ripley to potentially be showing up on Raw. I I just think she was excellent in this match. Charlotte, I mean, is uh, I, I I think she's the the hands down the the best female in the company. And I thought this match was on par with anything from the first night. I think that this is certainly in the conversation for the best match of either night of WrestleMania. I thought I was engaged in this the whole time, which for 20 minutes in this setting is really tough. And mm. they they had me for the whole match. I really got into the story with the knee. And I think, as you said, I thought Charlotte led this really well. And Ripley was right there with her as well. Like there's there's things you can tinker with with Ripley. She's very young and still relatively new, but I thought this was a great showing for both of them and I think they uh this was a total thumbs up match. I was surprised though maybe at, at the way Charlotte won, like the tap out mm-hmm. finish here. I thought they would be more protective of, of Rhea Ripley since she is going to kind of be your long-term NXT star and you would assume that they're going to build to some sort of rematch. So that that was surprising to me. So do you see Charlotte being more focused on NXT? Do you see her being like kind of this dual role at the point where she's on Raw, but also on NXT? 
Provided that they can continue to shoot shows, I, I see this more as Charlotte being on NXT rather than Ripley on the on, on the other show. I mean, at this point, everything's being shot in the same place, so they could very well just continue to like bleed storylines back and forth. But I do feel like this Charlotte thing continues to be more of a more of a way to um, you know accentuate NXT. Following that was Aleister Black and Bobby Lashley. Uh, Aleister Black came out with this. WrestleMania outfit. He had these horns coming out of the shoulders. And then Bobby Lashley came out in his WrestleMania gear, which was full-length tights. Full-length tights. I know. Brand new. With a guy that looks like this. Why, why would you be wearing tights? It's WrestleMania, man. I don't know. These these looked so generic, The these tights. To be honest, he was looking pretty generic anyway. Well... Lana was with him, and she's a brunette now. I would imagine that has to do with the movie role that she had been filming. Uh, but she was out there. Early on, Black missed a moonsault off the buckle and took a belly-to-belly on the floor. So it was Lashley in control for a long period of time, and then sets up for the spear and goes into a knee strike from Black. Lashley then gets back into control, and he lifts up Black for that kind of version of the uh, the Stormbreaker he does. But Lana yells... To beat him with the spear. So Lashley just lets go of him and says, cool, okay, I'll go for the spear. And he runs for the spear and is hit with the black mass. And Alistair wins in seven minutes and 16 seconds. And Bobby does not look too happy uh, with Lana. I thought these two had like pretty good in-ring chemistry. You know, uh, and, and you combine like Black's agility and his kickboxing background. It matches really well with like Lashley's power and wrestling style. I liked how off the top. I had like a like they they kind of engage in this like almost like a shoot style opening here and I had this like real strange feeling like I was watching some sort of like Japanese shoot shoot wrestling match like it felt like it was like pancreas or something the quiet audience the kickboxing stance and you know it just tells me like in a different promotion in a different alternate reality you could have these two guys in far different, like under far different circumstances, in in a more sports like presentation, given both of their martial arts backgrounds, but you know, instead we've got Bobby Lashley is not presented like that at no, all, not at all. But that could have been a possibility in this match, and and you know, so the match to me, um, the finish especially was very sports entertainment and lame. Uh, at this point, it's almost to be expected. Um, but I thought overall the match, though, as far as in ring chemistry between the two, exceeded my expectations. Yeah, I didn't have high hopes for this one. I would say Lashley maybe uh, came off a bit better than his typical matches, but that's not saying a whole lot. I mean, th- this felt like kind of um, more so of a, of a Raw style of match. And I kind of, uh, I agreed with like the early portion of this match that you were kind of um, hinting at, at that kind of a style, which I think they could have really dug into if this had a proper buildup and some kind of story behind it, which this did not. But um, it was there. It was a win for Aleister Black. So, I mean, it was um, certainly, you know, it had its place on the card. It was just nothing I think is going to be all too memorable coming out of this. Afterwards, Caleb Braxton spoke with Bailey and Sasha Banks and said that everyone's trying to drive a wedge between them and brought up all the people on Twitter that hate on them. Bailey just walked out of the scene and Banks is left with Braxton and is asked how badly she wants to be SmackDown Women's Champion. And she said, we'll have to wait and see till the match. And then gave Kayla a smile and then walked out. So continually teasing that Sasha has ulterior motives with this friendship with Bailey. They ran a promo 
for Money in the Bank, which they are still advertising for May the 10th, although they are not – they never said uh, Baltimore, which is where it's scheduled to be. They just said Sunday, May 10th on pay-per-view and the WWE Network. So hmm. it looks like they're at least advertising that they'll be back on with a big show in a month. Shall see. Can you imagine having multiple Money in the Bank matches back here at the PC in this empty arena? Yeah, uh, at this point I can. Uh, maybe they'll do it in a boneyard. That might be money in the bo- uh, money, money in, in the, the boneyard. boneyard. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you just walk around with um, I don't know that tractor. The tractor is like you got to cash it in by driving that into the arena. So to be honest, though, if they are planning on doing a money in the bank, you would expect them to again maybe do a series of bulk shoots kind of like this right just taping on your tv leading up to a pay-per-view at the same time i would really hope so if they're able to tape anything this week which i think is so ridiculous mm-hmm. at the very least shoot the month and shoot the pay-per-view but my god like this this roster that just had to do all of this and you're seeing like they, they were having to do overnight shoots until like five in the morning for this and now you've got to tell them a you've got to travel again and B, we got to do this all over again for a month this time. Um, it's a hard ask of your company. And I'll, I'll, I'll say this. Like, I'm genuinely pretty positive coming out of this WrestleMania. But I can sense a lot of people sort of having their fill now of this setting and wanting a break from empty shows. Like, if I was not doing this for a job, I don't know how stoked I'd be on watching Raw tomorrow night. Like, I more than got my fill this weekend and could go a while before I'd have to watch another one of these shows. Maybe you don't agree. No, no. Uh, I mean, I'm, I I don't disagree or, or agree. Charlie is with Rob Gronkowski and asked him about Mojo Rawley stealing the 24-7 title the night before. And Gronk said he would like to win that title tonight. But before that, we have Dolph Ziggler versus Otis. Sonya Deville came out with Ziggler, but there was no sign, no Tucker. They announced that he was injured during uh, that zigzag spot on the steps from Friday. So that was Tucker's explanation for not being there. And there was also no Mandy Rose, which they would uh, build up to. Ziggler hit the super kick early on Otis. And then Otis came back and sent Ziggler flying into the corner, catapulting him. And then it was all Otis. Otis, uh, JBL said, would be Ivan Putzky if Putzky had eight Bam Bam Bigelow. So we got a Putzky reference on this show. Yes, we have. Yeah, JBL's um, senior time, time frame, I guess. Yeah, Otis is just dominating Ziggler for like a long time. He goes for the caterpillar when Sonya Deville gets on the apron, and this led to Ziggler kicking Otis low behind the referee's back, and then Mandy's theme plays. She comes out, she attacks Deville, and then runs in, kicks Ziggler with a low blow, or sorry, uses her uh, her arm for the low blow. And this leads to Otis hitting the Caterpillar, pins Ziggler at 8 minutes and 10 seconds. And then Mandy hugs Otis, celebrates with him, and he lifts her up, and they have a big kiss. Yes, they did. They did kiss. Yeah. Um, And this was it. Yeah, this was the culmination of a months-long told romantic storyline. I think, you know, you watch this, you have visions of, you know, Macho Man and Liz... Lita, Matt Hardy, kind of like your classic WWE Vince McMahon types of love stories. And um, you can only imagine what the reception would have been like if this was in front of a stadium crowd. 
they had a plan, they stuck with it. Uh, and you know, unfortunately, even here we are, same, same story, same culmination, but without a crowd. Um, this would have been one of the biggest pops of the night, I think. I think so too. Yeah. But you know, they, it's kind of what they were up against. And I, I, again, I think we can commend them for sticking to it and finishing it. The match was fun. Nothing particularly good or bad. It did the trick to set up the culmination here. Um, and I would say by the end of it, this has been a breakthrough role for Otis. You know, yes. to, to a lesser extent, I would say Mandy, who really hasn't been given too much to do except like, you know, be an object of, of affection. Um, but it does look like if they have the chance, they they will continue this story. Yeah. Um, I don't I I didn't get into the match all that much. I think this was all about the post match. It was just it was a lot of Otis on offense. But for this match, it was probably best that Ziggler be the one just bumping around for Otis rather than vice versa. That would have been even more awkward. Um this was all about the story, and they paid that off at the end, and that's what everyone's going to remember from from this story. Um, and, and, and now you have to kind of follow it, because now Otis has got the girl, and where do you go from there at this point? And we still don't have, like, really an explanation about, like, why Sonya did what she did. Well, it makes sense, like, Mandy and Sonya can feud coming out of this, and that can maybe be what it sets up the feud is we get kind of Sonya's... Uh, rationale for all of this. Uh, but for Otis, it's kind of just, you know, I guess he's got like Mandy in his corner now. Does she like manage heavy machinery? Because she has like breakout potential as a, as a great, you know, personality. But I, I don't know if like as the manager of heavy machinery, like what are, what's the length that you can go to with that? So we'll see, we'll see what happens with, with this. This was all about the chase, but now you have arrived at this destination. Where do you go with it at this point? Mm-hmm. Randy Orton and Edge, last man standing match. Uh, were you surprised at all about the positioning? Mm, I think given what was to come, not not really. Felt like a good good time to put it. Well, this was uh, Edge's first singles match since 2011. He comes out and he just stormed out, came right to the ring, and then he's awaiting Randy Orton. And Randy's music plays and Edge is waiting and waiting. And then... Disguised as a camera operator, Randy Orton runs in. He's got he's got pants and a overalls on or whatever, and is all covered up and hits Edge with the RKO, revealing that it's him. And the referee checks on Edge, and he rings the bell to start the match. And Edge gets hit with another RKO, and Edge is getting to his feet, struggling on the floor when Orton attacks him with the camera, and. One of my favorite parts early on is where they go over the barricade and they cut to the the abandoned camera on the floor. So you get the, the angle of it from mm-hmm. the floor mm-hmm. as they fight off. I, I thought that was like a, a cool little edit that they had in here. And then we went on a all-day tour of the WWE Performance Center. If you didn't get enough during the uh, Ciampa Gargano uh, brawl, this was us going to every room. This felt like... Uh, like I was playing Doom or something, and I was just going from level to level of the WWE Performance Center. It, it, sure, Doom would be a good word. They, uh, I'm going to say, well, let, let's just go through this. So I am, I am not going to go through all this. This was like just a, this was a street fight all over the place. It was just, it was a gym no comp- fight, really. It was a gym fight, like bare bones commentary. 
and it was just a lot of grunting and fighting. And I'll say for the first half of this, like I was fully into this. I thought it's like, man, they got me from the beginning. This is a great tone that they've set. And I was all in in, in this. And there came a point, I think it was in the boardroom. And then it's, you're starting to look is like the minutes are certainly adding up in this match. Uh, we had Orton complaining about his elbow at one point, and then later we saw the visual where the back of his shoulder got all sliced up and was bleeding. Uh, they just went through all these. They fought by the gym equipment and came up with like some like Edge going up the pull-up bars and launching himself into a seated senton to Randy on a chair. Uh, we went into the production area, then into the boardroom. And this boardroom has to be the only one where it's got a chain link fence over top of it. So Randy was on the on the table and Edge launched himself hooking onto the chain link fence and then dropped an elbow onto this table that nothing was breaking this table. It was like he was Spider-Man here. Um, yeah, I, I'm assuming this was some sort of like cable truss or something like that. But um, I thought it was it really cool. Be. It looked it was, really cool. I mean, it was a, a clever utilization of a, of a boardroom for a street fight. Um, Orton then got set up on a table, and Edge climbed onto this structure and came off with an elbow drop, uh, breaking this table. Orton eventually got to his feet. Um, next, we move on to the pickup truck. And by this point, like, we're closing in on like a half hour at this point. Orton hit a draping DDT off the roof of the truck into the, the back of it. And Edge recovers. He gets onto a production truck next to it. Orton joins him, and Orton sets up for the punt kick and gets stopped with a spear. Both men get to their feet. Edge goes for another spear, but he's caught with the RKO. And Orton brings up two chairs onto the production truck, and he's saying, this is it. It's time for you to go back home to your girls. And Orton lifts the chair, and Edge applies the arm triangle that he had used on television with MVP, and is trying to apply it, and it looked like he was right about to lose his grip when he just let go, and Orton just sold that he was unconscious. And Edge stops the referee from counting. Instead, with Orton out cold, laying on one of the chairs, Edge takes the other chair, and he's getting emotional. He is, like, breaking down at what he is about to do. He's pretty much got to, like, pretty much put Old Yeller to sleep here. And he lifts up the chair and delivers the one-man concerto to Orton, as the referee counts 10, ending this match at 36 minutes and 41 seconds, which, if my stats are correct, would make this the second longest match in the history of WrestleMania. Oh, wow. Outside of uh, Bret and Sean being of course. the longest. Wow. That, that is a very interesting stat. Um, so, you know, before everything... Like, this was the match that I would say a vast majority of people were looking forward to the most on this show. It had by far the best build. And that's not even including, you know, this uh, Untold that or, or 24 that they shot with Edge. Oh, dude, it was so good. If you watch this, like, had this been... This was, like, the ultimate... Like, we talk about the Drew McIntyre thing that should have aired. My God, this, this would have been amazing on TV. Like, this documentary was phenomenal. So it only makes sense that they would try really hard to create, like, an epic, you know... Uh, match that that would live up to those very high expectations and you know doing so i think you know to what they felt was probably giving themselves an advantage by getting outside of the handicap of the empty arena so it made total sense why they would do it um i think 
positives out of the out of the way, I think we all appreciate how this might have broken up the monotony of the matches all taking place within that arena. Um, and you know what? On paper, this was a smart call. Yeah, and like a last man standing match is typically a match that kind of like you kind of have to you kind of ignore a crowd anyway. You know, so it's I could see why it would work, but it ultimately just became like a long backstage WWE plunder match. And, you know, you add that last man, last man standing stipulation to it, coupled with just, like, the the kind of awkwardness of having to have a wrestling match in, like, non-wrestling environments. It resulted in just a lot of brawling, a lot of slamming each other on, onto random objects. And then it just, like, basically didn't allow for any sort of, like, you know, meaningful peak or valley or even progression other than your big memorable spots. So I would say... It was a match for 36 minutes that lacked the ability to increase or decrease pace. It was just kind of one steady thing of hitting each other uh, on, on this object and hit, hitting hitting somebody else on another object. Um, that's not to take away from the very impressive spots that I thought Edge and, and Orton crafted, particularly Edge, you know, diving off of a bunch of shit. Like, he took a lot of risk here. And I ultimately feel like the match would have been better had they shaved it off and really condensed it to just some of those very impressive spots. Um, I also don't think they really considered, at least for me speaking, John, how sensitive viewers might have been at this point seeing two dudes sweating and spitting all throughout this entire building. Like, I, I've actually been quite amazed at how I've been able to relax my concerns about the well-being of these performers throughout these two nights. But this match, like seeing these two not only spit and sweat all over each other, but basically bring their fluids into every other room in this facility like there was just scenes where Orton just had like shit falling out of his face that just under normal circumstances would have, would have probably been a hazard anyway, but especially in this time, knowing the circumstances, I mean, I, it, it made me cringe and definitely made me think about the real world a bit more, which is, I think the opposite effect that, you know, this whole show, it, it was intended to have. So for me, it attracted from whatever story they're trying to tell. So by the time Edge got to his point, like, you know, doing all the big facial expressions before that final concerto, I kind of just found myself ready for the match to end. And that I'm I'm as disappointed by in saying that as the performers must be if they hear criticism like that. Yeah, I mean, first of all, Edge coming back, like physically, he looked great. I mean, this mm -hmm. guy went went almost 40 minutes here. And I'd say like from a just a, an actual ability standpoint, I mean, it's really incredible when you look at this 46-year-old that came back and did this level of physicality. This was not something where, you know, he cut corners or anything like that. So I, I think that's to be applauded. To me, it's it's similar to your point that this started off at a pretty high level to begin with, and they were going at that gear. And at some time, even if the performers are not going to burn out at that gear, the audience might. And that, to me, came around 18 minutes into this, and that was the halfway point of the match. And it just kept going. And this was this was really like a an updated Boiler Room Brawl kind of match, where you had, you had, you had no atmosphere for it beyond the two guys and their selling and going into these di different visual uh, uh, locations mm -hmm. to just change things up. But to me, it just, it hit that point where there, it was just, these minutes were just adding and adding and adding. And you just, you cannot keep that level of intensity for your audience's sake. And 
at that point, you sit down and, you know, some clear eyes look at this and say, okay, this is not live. This is taped. Does this match work in this presentation? And I don't know if the idea was, well, how do how do we take out this guy who just has had uh, all of this neck fusion surgery? He's come back. Look at all that he did physically, and we're going to edit that stuff out of the match. I don't know, but this match would have been much better served uh, closer to 20 minutes than 36. Agree. So that's um, – I, I think it's a match that will be – I don't even want to say polarizing. I think this was one that it had the had every right to be the match of the show, and I don't think many people are going to be calling this the match of the show. Yeah, it, it, to be honest with you, I thought it was like one of the lone disappointments of the entire weekend, and you know that also comes with heightened expectations for this one, and I would say far lower expectations for anything else. But if I'm going to talk about anything that I feel underwhelmed because I had such high expectations based off of the build, it was unfortunately this match. Yeah. Um, I agree there. And, and, you know, all that said, I would still really like to see Edge in a, in a proper match, you know, under, under oh, the right it, circumstances. It, this didn't turn me off of, like, Edge at all. I just think the circumstances, the layout of this match didn't work for this, for this audience with this length. Um, there, that's not an indictment of, you know, his, his ability here. I think it's, you, you learn from this. Like, they went out and, try, I think, just had that mentality of doing the long epic. And the long epic was not what this audience wanted, especially in this kind of a setting. Like, maybe in the stadium, um, I, I can't even say in the stadium, this necessarily would have worked for that amount of time. Like, that's a big ask of your audience. But I think in this setting, way too ambitious trying to go this, this length of time. So afterwards, we... Come from that, and it's Mojo Rawley being chased, wearing the 24-7 title, and uh, a bunch of guys are out here chasing Mojo, and Rob Gronkowski is on the perch and dives off of it with a trust fall and then pins Mojo to win the 24-7 title, and he hightails it out of the Performance Center as champion. So this was the big spot. I guess this was the big physical spot that Rob Gronkowski did. All right. You think those will get replayed on ESPN? I hope they had a better angle of it because I didn't think it was it was shot all that well. Like it was kind of hard to you didn't even see like a zoomed out shot to really emphasize the height he was coming off of. I, I it was like a like the camera angle was like from the floor and you see all these bodies blocking the jump. I, I didn't even think it was done all that well that you don't even really appreciate the the jump that this guy did. Must have been the best angle if that's the one they went with. I just thought, like, compare this to, like, Kevin Owens' one, like, that visual. And granted, he's not coming from the same height. But to me, I I think if, if you were out of the room or just blinked, you might have not even noticed this dive. Uh, it wasn't anything memorable to me. Me, me neither. But, um, you know, they put the title on Gronkowski and you can do – I mean, I would say that it could be he goes and he can lose this title to all these celebrities and stuff. But I, I don't know how much interaction there's going to be over the next little while of who he could even lose this title to. Mm-hmm. The Street Profits against Angel Garza and Austin Theory. This was for the Raw Tag Titles. And this they kept this one short. Uh, Zelina Vega was out with Garza and Theory. And Dawkins gets thrown to the floor where Garza super kicks him behind the referee's back. And Ford eventually receives the tag, fires up on Garza, hit a Topicon hero onto Theory and his partner. And this was followed by Garza with a top rope moonsault to all three on the floor. And then a Cabrada back in the ring. Theory hits Dawkins with a TKO. But Ford comes off the top with From the Heavens 
that lands on Theory and Dawkins rolls over, pinning Theory at 623 for the Street Profits to retain the tag titles. I, I thought that this was um, a tough spot following what we just recapped with the last man standing match, but I was glad they kept this one short, and I thought uh, Angel Garza looked really good in this of the four. I actually feel like this was a really good palate cleanser after seeing, you know, two dudes just kind of meander back, like backstage without doing any real wrestling moves. This type of like, you know, ultra athletic, you know, a sprint for what is it? Four, six minutes yeah. like of just guys flying and doing really impressive physical moves to me was like a great palate cleanser that I actually preferred over the last match. And I was uh, probably more as surprised as anybody to to be able to say something like that. Um, I think Montez Ford continues to really cement himself as a breakthrough star over the past couple months. He's, you know, they finally let this guy wrestle and not just wrestle, but like create this, you know, great formula for him to just like exhibit his, his incredible leaps to just, you know, like really dazzle and, and, and really um, like be memorable, I would say overall. So I think they've done a good job with him and the Street Profits overall. Yeah, and I think this is the kind of length you want to see the Street Profits at. Like, sometimes they get put on Raw, and they're doing those two-plus segment matches, and they're long. Um, this was just quick, and I think coming off that, that's what you wanted. Um, because I, I think people were kind of um, a, a bit restless, to say the least, after the, the prior match. Garza and Theory then jump Montez Ford, and... So Austin Theory here is getting in on this attack, and they hold Ford in place for Zelina Vega to attack him, and this prompts Bianca Belair to run in, attacking Zelina Vega and hitting the KOD. Yes, yes, this was, you know, this was a nice surprise appearance. Um, and I feel like this, you know, despite Bianca Belair's, she she is like kind of like, she's made appearances on the main roster. I don't know how, how big of a name she is. Nonetheless, I think if something like this took place in front of a live audience, I think a lot of people would have reacted really well to Bianca Belair, and it would have been a wonderful way to debut her. Do you, yeah. think, do you think this is a call-up? This is what it felt like. If like You have to go with something with uh, Bianca and Zelina Vega and maybe doing like intergender uh, six-person tags mm-hmm. Yeah, coming out of this. Yeah, I, I think this would have been the kind of spot you do for... For for Raw the night after instead of WrestleMania in front of the audience, but mm. I mean it doesn't matter at all here. But yeah, I I think you have to go ahead with these matches now, and we could be in a situation now where Garza, Austin Theory, and Bianca Belair are now on Raw. That's what it feels like. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you would assume that they're do they live in Florida? Uh, yes. Bianca? Yeah. Yes. So there you go. So I know you were very worried when Rob Gronkowski took off because everyone was probably thinking, well, who's going to host the rest of this show? It's not over yet. Well, fear not. Titus O'Neil is here and announced that he is here to host the show while Gronkowski has gone with the 24-7 title. So thankfully, Titus is here to the rescue. You and I both know, and I think the world knows, that this guy was here for one reason, and he would serve his purpose later on. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we will get there. Before that... The elimination match for the SmackDown women's title. Bailey, Sasha Banks, Lacey Evans, Naomi, and Tamina. The four women gang up on Tamina at the beginning of this, and she just powers all of them off, and they they kind of got rid of Tamina, and then this broke up into a tag match. Bailey and Banks are working together, and then we had the reunion of Team Bad with Tamina, Banks, and Naomi doing the unity sign. 
which I was kind of glad they did this on SmackDown on Friday because even watching this, I think you needed Michael Cole to actually remind people of Team Bad. Dude, I don't think Michael Cole himself remembered because throughout these episodes, you can kind of clearly hear when there's like a difference in uh, in tone of like voice and and even sound yeah. quality. So to clearly indicate that, you know, these are probably pickups that were added in after the fact. And one of the more noticeable areas was certainly here with this Team Bad reunion when they, you know, when they when they actually got together and were teasing the reunion, Cole, under the live voice, just saw it as, oh, three participants coming together, staring <laughs> each other down. And then it kind of cuts to like a different sound quality where it's essentially Cole reading off of like the Team Bad Wikipedia page, reminding us of like, this was like a big portion of the women's revolution earlier in the day. Like it sounded so out of place. And I give him credit for, you know, certainly um, like drawing attention to something that happened in the past. But nobody nobody remembers team bad no like when they do the unity thing it would have clicked with me but the three of them just standing there that that's not registering for me immediately either so i'm not i'm not going to be too judgmental either um but they did that spot and then immediately tamina super kicks sasha so short-lived reunion uh banks uh all of them took their turns with tamina here beginning with sasha hitting a 619 bailey came off the top of an elbow banks with the frog splash Evans with the moonsault, and then finally Naomi with the split-legged moonsault, and they all just jumped on top of Tamina for the elimination. It was a good elimination. They yeah. tried to make Tamina like the big monster of the five. Mm-hmm. Bailey and Banks then just double-team Naomi in the corner. Naomi tries to fight back, and she applies that crucifix-style submission onto Banks, but Bailey broke it up. And then the Banks statement is applied to Naomi, and Naomi taps out. Evans is hurt on the floor. She struggles back in, and Bailey and Banks, it's two-on-one. Bailey goes for a running knee in the corner, misses Lacey, and she drills Sasha by mistake. So Bailey is uh, dealing with Evans, and then Banks returns, grabs Bailey, and she's all upset that she hit her with the knee. So Bailey shoves Banks away as Lacey charges at her with the woman's right, doesn't connect with Bailey, turns her hips and she nails Sasha with the woman's right. And as Evans goes to pin Sasha, Bailey just sits there and watches as Banks is eliminated. Yeah. Uh, you know, a lot of, uh, all, we all, we know ultimately this was to build somehow to Bailey versus Sasha. And I thought this was a pretty clever way of getting there. They were dropping in like a bunch of story stuff here for Bailey and Banks, which is the obvious spotlight that the women's division will have. So Evans is left with Bailey, and Bailey attacks her shoulder, runs it into the post. She ties the right hand to the turnbuckle so she can't deliver the woman's right. But Evans is able to untie herself without too much difficulty, and she gets onto the turnbuckle. This is after knocking down Bailey. She is like in slow motion, delivering a salute, and then the twisting moonsault. It's like, man, this is like really over the top here if this is how she's going to win. But Bailey kicks out from the moonsault. And as Evans is teasing the woman's right, Sasha returns, hits Lacey with the backstabber, and Bailey hits her one percenter and pins Lacey Evans at 19 minutes and 16 seconds to retain the women's title. I enjoyed this match. Like, I thought it exceeded my expectations again. Um, and I thought one of the strengths of it was the fact that. You had what what was on paper, I would say, a pretty chaotic, random, you know, collection of available women on SmackDown. You you even had to pull from, like, your, you know, unused, rarely used pile in somebody like Tamina to drag him out in order to fulfill a number here. So, from the start, I had 
I, I was expecting nothing from this. But the fact that I would say from the get-go, there were clear chapters in this elimination match. And I would say all of them were pretty engaging. I thought was was a real credit to this match. Like from from the point when there was five, they found a solution to kind of weave us through that chaos by pairing the heels together, pairing the baby faces together, while leaving Tamina sort of as like the lone, you know, Nia Jax monster type that both teams had to kind of struggle against. And then they got down to four, and then you had the two baby faces and heels going against each other. Then it got down to three, and then you kind of put the spotlight now at this point on Lacey Evans, who kind of had to outsmart. The, the 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 heel team in in Bailey and Sasha, all the while with the end goal of building towards Sasha versus Bailey, which I think they did a pretty amicable job of of doing. Um, and I was impressed here with like I don't know if it was again like maybe the fact that um this was an edited show or the fact that we hadn't seen her in quite a while, but I was impressed with Lacey Evans here. Um, save for that moonsault, maybe that still looked a little bit rough on uh on on, on Bailey, unfortunately, but. You know, she has clearly made uh, improvements. Naomi has cl- clear- clearly made very noticeable improvements. And, you know, ultimately, I felt like they were successful in building to Sasha and Bailey, as well as giving a spotlight to some of those unknown talents, too. I, I thought they, they over-delivered for what they had. This was really long, this late in the show, but I thought that it was, you know, it, it was a good match. Uh, I, I won't go great, but I thought that this was... Um, uh, better than I was anticipating to at least keep people's attention and, you know, in a tough spot this late in the show going uh, 20 minutes. So, uh, yeah, and you have you have a lot of stories that you can capitalize coming out of this. The main one being uh, Bailey and Sasha Banks and having th- that kind of uh, intrigue uh, of where this goes. So then it's time for the Firefly Funhouse, which I swear on Saturday they had the graphic and it just said, Funhouse match. We were back to Firefly Funhouse match tonight. But anyway, the Firefly might have made all the difference in the world to this. John Cena comes out inside the Performance Center. And you're wondering, what what is this going to be? And then the video cuts and we are just into the Funhouse portion of this. We're getting like warped clips of Vince McMahon and Gene Okerlund from old WrestleManias. And then it transitions to Bray inside of the Firefly Funhouse. And Bray says that John Cena is about to face his most dangerous opponent, yourself. And Cena then appears on the Firefly Funhouse set. He sees Ramblin' Rabbit and then the door that he enters to go into the darkness. Yeah. Were you ready for what was to come? No. (laughs) He walks in, and it's the return of the Vince McMahon puppet, asking Cena if he has enough ruthless aggression. I'm not lying that I don't know how I'm going to recap this thing. This is just insanity. So I'm going to try and make it. This might be your biggest challenge yet. It's was immediately what I was thinking was how in God's name am I going to convey this to someone that did not watch this? So then we get all these different versions of John Cena represented in this, starting with a recreation of the SmackDown open challenge that Kurt Angle gave in 2002 mixed in with Bray delivering his open challenge as we went back and forth between the promos. Like this was some really clever use of your library. And that is, is one thing that was undeniably true uh, throughout this entire thing. 
John Cena, modern day John Cena walks out in his goofball trunks and matching boots right out of 2002. This is the most ridiculous visual that I would see for the next 30 seconds. These were John Cena's debut shorts. This was exactly the outfit that he came out in 2002 in the open challenge against Kurt Angle. And this dude is like just as jacked as he was 18 years ago. Yes. So everybody from the get go, like when Bray says your biggest challenge is yourself from this moment on, I was fucking in. Okay. Because I knew we were going to be in for a psychological war where John Cena has to basically relive his entire career and they got the man to actually dress up and play all those parts, starting with this ruthless, ruthless aggression, John Cena. I, I honestly believe that John Cena is the Will Ferrell of Anchorman character. Like, you put anything on this dude's teleprompter, he's reading it. You throw any idea at this dude, he's doing it. I, I, don't, I don't completely agree with that because I feel like he would tell you if something didn't feel... Like, it would be good. I think at this point in his career, the man is willing to take risks. He's willing to do something that's very unusual. We saw it with, like, the United States Open Challenge. We saw it with the whole Undertaker, you know, weird type of build that the guy had at, at a couple of WrestleManias ago. This was something different. And I think at this point in his, in his career, he's into promoting the new stars as well as trying something new. And this was something new. This was something new. So he comes out. And Bray calls this embarrassing and said this was Cena's biggest failure and brings up how Cena almost got fired at this point in his career. From there, the Saturday night's main event theme begins playing. He, he also, he also like, at one point was teasing him by singing Nikki Bella's theme. I didn't even catch that part. Um, was that at this point in the 2002 area? Yes. yes. As he was dodging his ruthless aggression slaps. Because, everybody, the idea is that Bray Wyatt has basically forced John Cena's mind to replay his, his career and his the most significant moments in his life. Except Bray, at this point, was basically dodging everything and just kind of, like, almost embarrassing Making him. Making fun of him, yeah. Yeah. Mind games. Like, I mean, the, the best use of the word is is this match. So, we and then to- obsession. We hear obsession. We hear obsession. And we're right back to like the old school, like green screen promos where Bray's behind the big blue steel cage set. And is like, this is more like Southpaw regional wrestling where he's cutting like the over the top promo before Johnny Large Meat enters carrying barbells and does his own promo and then lifts these barbells in succession till his arms are blowing out. Dumbbells, dumbbells. Regardless. Uh, that was definitely the term I was I was thinking at this point in time. Uh, so he gasses out his arms, and he can't attack Bray because his arms are blown out. Yeah, yeah. Like in the timeline, I guess. Like, did did you make sense of this? How we went from maybe two thousand two ruthless aggression to like Saturday night's main event. My only assumption is that this was John Cena's fandom as a big Hulk Hogan fan. I don't really know how this ties in with John Cena's career other than him being a fan of this era. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. You can, 
You're, the logic out there is there for you to attach yourself. There, there will be essays written about this match years from um, now. Unlikely by me, but yes, you're probably right. Cena is then thrown out of the shot and into his Doctor of Thugonomics character. Which one of our callers suggested last night. Dude, I'm so, I let me publicly apologize to that person right now. Because that person was like, I don't know where it was like, hey, do you think we'll see the uh, John Cena appearing as Thugonomics? And we just shut it down. We're like, that makes no sense. There's nothing to do with the storyline. Please accept our sincere apologies. We look so stupid because, lo and behold, <laughs> that's what happened. So this segment, like, to me, all this was was, tr- like, giving John Cena, like, dated, lame lines that just made him, like, it was like present-day John Cena trying to be 2003 John Cena and being made fun of it. Like, they even put, like, the sound of crickets over his his opening line and just going, like, D's nuts and all these lame jokes as he runs down Bray Wyatt with a rap. It was Bray Wyatt basically forcing John Cena to be only able to speak as Rhyme. his 2000 and whatever character, the Doctor of Thugonomics character. So John Cena... We know, like, the soul of John Cena is trying to communicate, but he can only speak in, you know, at this point, what is very dated, like, you know, rap beef type of uh, promo structure. Bray says that John is a bully, a horrible person who takes the weaknesses of others and turns them into jokes. And he's doing this as there's like a piano playing underneath him. He does anything for fame. And Cena came back with more lame lines and... Uh, this was kind of Bray just uh, trying to get John to be introspective of his own shortcomings. So this is Bray Wyatt, like, talking about how Cena has always been the golden goose. He has been taking all the opportunities, and he calls John Cena a bully, especially this version of John Cena, who, you know, really at this point was a heel, uh, how he takes other people's weaknesses and turns them into jokes. So this is just, I mean, a further criticism from Bray Wyatt about the hypocrisy of John Cena. Bray then nails him with a chain, and we cut to Bray Wyatt as his Wyatt family persona. So we're going back now to 2014 with the first match, and Bray is explaining how Cena was a man of the people, and the people wanted Bray at this time, and all he had was his grandest failure. And, 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 they, was, and they cut to like a scene of like the, the crowd singing, singing, the whole world in his hands. And you and I remember that WrestleMania, John, WrestleMania 30. Bray Wyatt was the hottest thing in that whole town. There were like, I don't know how many like Bray Wyatt cosplays we saw walking into, you know, the, the Superdome that day. But absolutely. Yeah, this was what the people wanted. And this was supposed to be a prophecy that remained unfulfilled because of John Cena. Yeah, and this was almost like the double meaning of like this loss, but that was the time that John Cena should have lost to him is pretty much what his message is here. Mm-hmm. So they redid the chair spot from that WrestleMania, but Cena, as he is in the current ring, swings the chair, Bray disappears as he's about to hit him in the head with the chair. Okay, so, you know, so Bray Wyatt, again, and I really love the fact that they replayed that match on Raw. Because it it completely you needed to re- remind yourself of the finish th- for that match to to like get the full value out of this because Bray has him in this in the sister Abigail and Bray was about to you know basically say I'm gonna rewrite history I'm gonna end up winning this match to defeat you but then he stops and says 
you and I both know John, or he specifically called him Superman. We both know that isn't enough to end it, Superman, because just pinning John Cena for one, two, three wouldn't have been enough to kill John Cena. He knows in order to kill John Cena, he needed to have John Cena turn to the dark side. And what did John Cena end up not doing in that particular match? He did not swing the chair. So he puts the chair back into John Cena's hand now, really, to rewrite history to get John Cena to turn to the dark side by swinging the chair. Which is the next scene of what would have happened if John Cena had turned heel. It would have been like Hulk Hogan turning heel Mm -hmm. as John Cena shows up on Nitro with Bray Wyatt playing Eric Bischoff and Vince yelling on the headset, this is good shit. Like, at this point... I was fucking floored, you know, like, like, I know the, the Boneyard match, uh, you know, and that had all of us really excited because it was just like, oh, the Undertaker and it's doing all this stuff. This was just like a combination of just maybe that same level of ingenuity, but with like meaning, like actual meaning attached to every single scene. So anyway, please continue. I mean, that's kind of the end here is the fiend finally appears And it ends with him hitting the sister Abigail while playing John Cena's promo from SmackDown about how at WrestleMania, there will be an end to the most overhyped and overprivileged star in WWE history. But he's using the words to describe John Cena and not The Fiend as he hits sister Abigail and pins John Cena. Yeah, yeah. So The Fiend has finally accomplished his goal. Um, and I love that they saved the fiend until the end because this whole thing was really, like they said, John Cena against himself, and John Cena finally succumbed to the pressures of himself. And let's also remember when John Cena was right about to swing that chair, they played all those flashbacks of times, memorable moments when the crowd was chanting, "Cena sucks, Cena sucks." We saw a flashback of CM Punk at Money in the Bank here. It was just like I, I was typing my notes so so like feverishly that I didn't even see, like I got to go back and rewatch this thing right away because there are so many little moments that like I, I couldn't believe I was seeing like this level of like depth in a WWE presentation but it basically it was Cena digging into the darkest parts re- the most repressed parts of his career to finally reach the, for that for that chair shot and to turn to the dark side and the fiend comes back here at the end to basically celebrate a job well done, a successful job done. And he pins John Cena. He defeats John Cena. And my God, dude, I, I oh, just, do you clearly love this? I thought this was like one of the best experiences I've had, like watching certainly during this empty arena era, but like, I would say even any of these WrestleManias, the level of like thought that was put into this and the execution and the risk involved uh, it could have been completely shit, and I have no doubt this match might even be more polarizing than the Boneyard match. But if it hits you, if you're somebody who followed the entire careers of, of John Cena and, you know, this thing with Bray Wyatt, and if you were following beat by beat the meaning that the guy was trying to put out here, dude, I mean, I love this match. I thought it was fantastic. I, I think that this was incredibly in-depth, and I'm I'm curious to see, like, what... Like, how much, like, this weekend of these, like, pre-produced matches, what, like, kind of impact is that going to have on future presentations for 
different performers, different kinds of storytelling that they do. Because I think overall, these two were met with like a ton of praise. I think this one was more so, uh, I think there was a lot more back and forth of how people, I, I did not hate this, but I did not love this either. So I love um, this. I love this more than the Boneyard match. You know, like I said, I like this more than the final deletion, dude. Because not only, again, not only did it play with, like, you know, the fun, nostalgic things that we, we typically see in those things, the wackiness of it. Again, this had way more meaning, way more deeper meaning attached to it than, than any of those. This was Bray Wyatt feeling like John Cena has always been a hypocrite. He says he's a man of the people, but instead he takes away from what the people actually want. And that was Bray Wyatt, you know, six years ago. And it, it, the whole thing was like a psychological. But, but wait a minute, what what did he take away from people in 2014? Bray Wyatt being the next guy. So he did not voluntarily lose a match. Like that's where this breaks down for me within the show. His his sin is that he won a pro wrestling match. He was supposed to put this guy over. Okay, well, I mean, I you, you kind of I, I can understand you how have you to can suspend your disbelief at, at some point. Like it, you know, it's. I, I don't know if, if re- it really just comes down to like a sports like, you know, this guy should have won, this guy should have lost in a clean, real sporting env- setting. There was there's there are clear layers of like fourth wall breaking in this entire thing. Otherwise, you wouldn't get the Vince McMahon puppet. You wouldn't get it's good shit, pal. You wouldn't get, you know, uh, all this other stuff. That to me, though, is an overall assessment of a character that yeah, th- there's positive and negative. P- people love this character. People hate this character. But Ultimately, this character does have to work in this in this show, and it's almost like this is its own show. It's its own thing what that was you can the appreciate match? on its own. What was the Boneyard match? What was the Firefly Funhouse throughout this entire thing? Well, I think the Firefly Funhouse, that's, that's been a big pro- – like, wh- where do you go with the Fiend from this if his next thing is facing Braun Strowman, for instance? Like, does this character – can you do this exact same thing again next month? I don't think you can. So – to me, it's you can break down all of this fourth wall stuff, but then you also have to take that character and insert it into the structure that people are educated to watch SmackDown for every Friday night. I think you worry about that later because clearly anything that they've been trying prior to this with the red lights and all that, none of that shit has worked. This, if you enjoyed it, I think you really felt like it worked. And I mean, surely, surely they can't do it every, every single week. Uh, they can't do it every single month, and I wouldn't want them to. But the fact that they actually have done it once tells me that it's possible, even if it was a once-a-year thing. And I'm so... I, I think this is going to be more than a once-a-year thing. I think after this weekend, I think you're going to see more of this stuff, not less. Sure, possibly, yeah. At the same time, I don't know how they can reach this level, because you needed a dance partner in John Cena, somebody who is of a superstar status, again, with the... I would say almost like very admirable ability to take chances like a John Cena in order to do something like this. You think like you think Hulk Hogan, if he was the, the ace at this time, would ever agree to shit like this? You think Stone Cold Steve Austin might even agree to something like this? Cena is like that weird dude. If you follow his Instagram that you know he's totally in on something this strange. And ultimately, like it worked because he was into it. So I don't know if you this would be successful with, you know, Braun Strowman or anybody else. Would you be comfortable putting like a a current baby face into the like Roman Reigns, for instance? Could this work with with a Roman Reigns? Yes. And would you be doing uh, damage to that character being in this? I think you could play with Roman Reigns again. Like I think part of what made this work was the fact that you had so many like 
you know, real life story elements attached to it. And, you know, in this case, it was the fans turning on John Cena and Cena constantly repressing those feelings of retaliation. That's been his career MO. Roman kind of has a similar story. And, you know, you can draw little references to, to everything. And I wouldn't even doubt at some point if they get into a Roman Reigns Bray Wyatt match that they might even make allusions to what's going on this month with Roman Reigns pulling himself out because of, you know, whatever uh, whatever's going on in the world. I don't know. But what we do know is that, like, this format allows Bray Wyatt, after all these years of having, like, great ideas but not really sticking the landing, it something changed here. And they it, it felt like this was something that, might have been as close to his exact vision as we might have gotten. So, yeah, I don't know. The sky's the limit. Well, on my poll tonight of 3,400 people, 80% loved this. 20% hated it. So okay. a strong majority loved this and loved the Boneyard match. So yeah, I think they're going to be the two. And I think they're going to be the two most talked about things coming out of this weekend. More so than yeah. the title matches, I would say. Definitely. For sure, because I'll say, like, after that match, like, I was it, I was not even ready for this Drew versus Brock thing. In fact, the Drew versus Brock match just, to me, just felt like a formality coming off of, like, the last thing. Like, they crowned two new champions, and to me, both nights, they were secondary to these these presentations, which I think it was just, they were so different that you you had some kind of opinion on it, but it was like the dominant, like I'm sure when we go to people and take calls, this will be the first thing they want to talk about, just like it was the Boneyard match. The key thing though, is that these weren't just different. They weren't just good because they were different. They were good because there was thought put into it, especially with this Firefly Funhouse one. I think the Edge Orton match was different. You know, like a 36 minute last man standing match in a gym. That's really different, but it wasn't good in execution. After the Firefly Funhouse, we cut to Titus O'Neil, who I got, definitely earned a WrestleMania payoff. Sorry, what? Titus O'Neil. I think oh, he, earned his, yeah. his, he earned his WrestleMania payoff just with this reaction. Yeah, he was very funny. <laughs> and from there, we go to Brock Lesnar and Drew McIntyre for the WWE title. And this was, you know, kind of... Very, very similar to Goldberg and Braun Strowman from the night prior. McIntyre comes out of the gate with the Claymore in the first 20 seconds, and Lesnar kicks out. He sets up for another one, but Lesnar avoids it and hits him with a bunch of German suplexes, hits the F5, Drew kicks out at one. He hits another F5, Drew kicks out at two. He hits a third one, and Drew kicks out. Heyman just yells, he's good, but just keep hitting him with them all night long. So he goes for a fourth F5. Drew avoids it, lands the Claymore, comes out of the, clay, the the corner. Third Claymore, fourth Claymore, and pins Brock in four minutes and 28 seconds. And we go off the air. Drew hoisting up the WWE Championship. It was the same match, right? It was last night. It was uh, two minutes longer. Okay. Yeah, honestly, like I couldn't help but feel like this match, in comparison to the highlights of this weekend was just so predictable and formulaic. You know, like, it's... It, it, it was it, like four, four spears and four power slams, and this was three F5s, the fourth gets thwarted, and four claymores. Like, it was pretty much the identical layout in... Pretty much. Of any Brock Lesnar or Goldberg match, you know, let's be honest. Like, they kind of struck gold with the two guys when they had them together. They figured out this formula that worked really well in front of the crowd. But we're in an era right now 
for better or worse, given the the certain the, the the modern limitations, were I think we have to celebrate creativity. And there was a clear lack of creativity in both the Strowman match and also this one. And I'm more disappointed in this one, given how much t- time they spent on it with story, how much more time they had with the match itself. Um, but you know, they chose to do the same match that they would have probably done at WrestleMania if it was in front of a stadium anyway. And at this point it was just like predictable and old hat. And I just, I don't even think about this afterwards. I I was, I was let down because I think that these two could have had a really good match together and maybe following the Firefly Funhouse, that would have been really hard to follow. But I, I, I thought like I was looking forward to this just like as a match. And I think this it didn't have to go 36 minutes, but I think it could have gone 15 to 16. Um, and yeah, it was just to me, it was just so carbon copy to the night prior. Uh, I'm glad Drew went over. It would have been my call for him to win as well. So um, that was it. I, I don't know if it's going to be um, all that memorable um, of a main event to WrestleMania, but that capped things off. It was it, it also goes to. A larger question that as you're doing these styles of thing, like we talked about the boneyard match, what could have followed that? Like when you're doing these things, like can can you follow that with a normal wrestling match afterwards? I think it's you really are taking people's mind completely out of pro wrestling at that point and then trying to bring them back to it with a match afterward. It's it's a valid question. You know, certainly I think on the first night they definitely made the right call putting the boneyard match last, and I think seeing the results. Of tonight, I think the the clear right choice might have been to put the Firefly Fennos at the end, but um, it you know it's really difficult. I think we're in pretty uncharted territory as far as you know wrestling presentation goes, and I I feel like this will be a bit of a weird learning experience about what what elements they can now play with and 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 you know what what they can do not just to resume these empty arena shows, but to you know carry forward once we get back to stadium wrestling and. What and balancing as well, like what your audience wants most of, like when we look at, you know, different, like imagine different wrestling companies uh, trying this, for, for instance, like this, this would not fly everywhere. Some places would absolutely embrace it. But there this weekend in particular, there's also a novelty to this. The next time around, you have heightened expectations. Is there you take out the novelty factor are enough people going to want this and be satisfied with this? I mean, that that's a question as well. I 1,000% believe we're going to see this revisited because I think you have to look at this as it's largely been met by positivity. Your thoughts overall on uh, night two and maybe the whole experience of the weekend? I, I am definitely open to the idea of them splitting up the shows both nights, provided they are these length. I, I think that the length of each night was way better than sitting through a six to seven hour WrestleMania. Um, I think it also helps that when you build up these matches, like I I know it's kind of silly to say when we're talking about the 36 minute match tonight, but how many programs that built, get built up for WrestleMania and then they get like five minutes and they so often we see so many get shortchanged on time. I think you split them up into two nights. um, You can avoid that problem a lot um, but you also have to have the right main events for both nights, which with two shows, knowing that you're doing this, you should be able to build that up, uh, in advance. So yeah. I, I think that it's definitely something that you can explore how that changes the WrestleMania schedule. 
maybe TakeOver becomes Thursday night and the Hall of Fame gets moved to another weekend in the year, um, that would be my call. But to me, if you want to do Saturday, Sunday, you can certainly entertain that idea. Um, for this particular weekend, I I think I came away enjoying night one more than night two. And I think that, you know, ultimately, I think people came away pretty satisfied with, with these two shows overall, though. I think expectations were very low going in. I think the talent worked extremely hard on these shows in these circumstances. And I think uh, they get a lot of applause from people for that. But I... I think that you got two um, pretty positively reviewed shows overall. Yes, I agree. And I'm really quite astonished at the end of this weekend that we are talking about these WrestleManias as if I would say uh, uh, on a more positive level than I would say most WrestleManias, especially as of late, you know, and, and I think a big part of that is due to the length, the difference between, you know, an eight hour, seven hour night versus two, three and a half hour nights, I think is massive. And I think it's a lesson they should take whether or not you do two nights. Whether or not you do two nights, I don't really care. But make one of those nights more manageable for your audience. Top it out at four and a half. You know, that's plenty. Five is, it it might even be too much. Four and a half, let everybody go home happy. It makes wrestling just a more enjoyable thing. Um, But, you know... Secondly, I I really felt like the match quality I was going into this weekend, not expecting a whole lot given what we saw in Raw and SmackDown, but I found myself like focused on like a lot of these even empty arena matches. And I I don't know if it was, again, maybe a combination of some editing involved or maybe more thought put into the matches themselves, more meaning in the outcomes of the matches. But I was pleasantly surprised by, I think, my engagement in just the straight up wrestling matches. And that's not even talking about like you know, the, the new like cinematic style wrestling things that they've been hitting home runs with, I think at this point, uh, we can call it that. So overall, like I'm, I'm way more positive on this experience than I ever thought I would be. Yeah. I would say that I hope from this, this period, like the promos that they used in the lead up to this, I hope that's something that they can in some way incorporate when they go back to arenas because I think that there's certainly something to be learned in that sense. And to me, like I'm much more stronger in terms of the Boneyard match that here is something where it can prolong, you know, a very popular character in the WWE. And beyond that, I mean, when we look at the influence of uh, other promotions that have tried this, whether it be Lucha Underground with Matt Hardy, you know, a byproduct of this is the ability to extend some people's careers, Uh, without having to do physical in-ring matches. Like, there's still a physicality attached to these, but it's greatly reduced and can be in a controlled environment with the benefit of editing. That could be something that we look at some of these older talents that cannot go at the level of an Undertaker of his prime, that you can still draw money with, that the audience still wants to pay to see, and you've kind of, in a weird way, backdoored your way into this avenue because this was not going to be a boneyard match up until you had to do it in this setting and that could be the ultimate kind of legacy of this period if this thing ultimately is successful we could be looking a year from now and they burn this thing into the ground or people just get tired of this but i would say this weekend um i I think that people are at least more open-minded that this can work after they put you know significant characters into these settings and and it was, you know, panned by some, but embraced by many more. 
it, and that's almost dangerous because I feel like, you know, like what we saw coming off of the, the final deletion, the amount of copycat stuff we saw from the WWE themselves and the less like the shitty quality of some of those things. You remember like the New Day had a, a, one of those? Oh, the, the, the one where they go to the, the compound. It was or the, the Wyatt family compound. That was horrendous television. So, I mean, under the wrong hands, it could be awful. So, so I hope, like, you know, whatever wrestling company decides to do more of these things, seeing the success of all this, please, like, temper yourselves and n- don't go full on. <laughs> Save it for something that has really is really deserving of it with a good idea. We open up the phone lines right now. I know a lot of you guys probably have a lot to say. So search us on Skype, post wrestling, call in right now. Let's go to the forum, John, see what you guys thought. All right. The poll tonight on a scale of 1 to 10 for night two gave this show a 6.5 uh, rating. And uh, while we're at it, on uh, my Twitter poll tonight, asking which was preferred, night one or night two, of 1,189 of you, 58.2% voted for night one, 41.8% night two. Okay. So relatively close. Let's start off. Uh, do you want to start off with the forum? Um, actually, I think we might be able to go to a phone call here if we just wait a second. Is Richard on the line? Hey, guys. How's it going? Hey, Richard. Richard. Very well. Yeah, well, at least this WrestleMania, I didn't have to go through six or seven energy drinks to go through all seven hours worth. All right. Well, that's good. A healthier WrestleMania this year. Yeah, uh, overall, I thought night two, I thought a little less of a night than last night's was, but just because I had lower expectations for last night. Um, Let's all agree that imagine watching this night one and night two back to back in succession. That's what we avoided this year. Yes, exactly. I thought, like I said, I was really disappointed with the Edge Orton match. That really should have been at least 15 minutes shorter. Uh, I noticed a lot of guys in the chat lines were kind of a little ticked because of the the bit in the uh, gym spot that you saw there with uh, around Edge's neck. And if you saw uh, Dark the ben, Side. Like the, the Benoit. Um, it it definitely crossed my mind. You know, that was... Uh, it certainly registered with me when they were doing that. And I, I imagine um, I really wasn't on Twitter too much tonight, but I'm sure others put that connection together, too. Yeah. Uh, but then the Firefly Flunhouse, it, it, that and the Boneyard Brawl, Boneyard Match, th- those are going to be what we're just going to be talking about. And I totally agree with you guys. Uh, whatever they do going forwards is going to be... <sighs> I hate to say have to be learned from this and this company as they've done for the past hasn't quite learned as much really. Cool. Thank you for your call, Richard. Thanks a lot. Uh, All right. Uh, Again, if you want to call in, just search for us post wrestling on Skype and we will be uh, taking your phone calls as long as they are coming in. And we'll also be mixing it in here with uh, feedback uh, from the forum. Uh, Do we have more calls with Yes, we got Hansi on the line. Hansi, what did you think of Mania Night 2? Uh, yeah, I thought Night 1 was better. I didn't mind Night 2. Just, you know, I, I, you know, I'm kind of iffy on the Charlotte win, but maybe more fresh matchups for, you know, you know, de- dethroning the queen and all that. Um, I, I, I just, I, with the Wyatt and Cena thing, uh, I guess this is a perfect match for someone like me to, like, analyze to you guys because like i'm kind of out there with my mentality whatever but the way that uh the reason why i thought that it tied in with the hogan stuff in a way is because i interpreted it as a way that 
Hogan and Cena are similar in that even though, yeah, they've been presented as good guys, you can make cases throughout their career that they have done stuff or said stuff that has kind of like, you go, is he really that, is he a good guy? You know what I mean? Like Bobby Heenan would always point it out. And I thought it would have been perfect if somehow they managed to sneak in some Dungeon of Doom stuff in those callbacks a little bit because, um, you know, and the reason why I'm bringing this up is because I, I watched World War Three because of your review, and Hogan was talking about not being part of the dark side, and Hogan had to go through that. He's being ch- he's being challenged by going to the dark side, and then a couple of months later, he joined the NWO. So I, it's kind of like what Way was saying that you know, embracing your hate and grabbing the steel chair. So maybe down the line, being a part time heel. Uh, Cena might actually work out. You know what I mean? I don't. I don't know if that's gonna happen, but that's the way I interpret it. And before I go, I just want to say that I. Uh, I hope we get a. I hope we get a, a conclusion to Jackie calling in because you know I, I want. I want to hear what his thoughts were. All right, but. Um, that, but that was our okay. own booking, uh, our cliffhanger from last night. Hopefully, we'll get a resolution. Yeah, for sure, man. Uh, you got. Yo, you guys have done amazing this past weekend, man. I, I enjoyed that we. All got to watch it. I was in the BDE chat room and everything like that. So, uh, again, thank you for the good work you guys have done. And uh, I'll just go back to the comment section. All right. Peace out. Thank, thank you for listening and thank, thank you for you calling in. You know, well, I'm just wondering, Way, what would be like the modern equivalent of the observe this promo? Would it be John Cena like pouring some coffee as a yeah. knock at us saying, This is what the dinosaurs drink? It's all, <laughs> all about the five hour energy, brother. It's going to rule the world. Uh, uh, <laughs> I no. guess so. Uh, you know what? Uh, it's late. It's late. No, I, I'm only focused on the on the phone lines, John. You know how much like goes into maybe the back end of all this. And, and I know Hansi mentioned a caller from yesterday who might who we hope to hear from on this show. And I think we might have him on the line right now. Is Jackie on the line? And if you are, can you just unmute yourself? <laughs> Am I okay right now? You sound okay, Jackie. You have made it through, and we're glad oh to have you on the air. God. All right. Yeah. Well, well uh, so are you are you the caller that predicted the Doctor of Thugonomics thing? <laughs> no, no, that that was not me. Oh, okay, okay. I'm something of a luddite with technology. I was the guy with the echo. I had your oh, feed at right. the same time as when I called. That's right. Yes. Yeah. You sound great right um, now. So what's yeah. on your mind? Uh, yeah, just, uh, you know, I've been a fan for a long time since uh, back in the old days. And I just given everything that's happening in the world, I decided to call in. And, um, you know, I think I think the WWE made the best of a bad situation. Uh, personally, like just watching the ma- matches, there's part of me that's uncomfortable given mm-hmm. everything that's happening right now. Like I wish kind of any promotion right now would take kind of the cue from the NHL and the NBA and just kind of take pause right now. But I mean, anything that happened outside of the ring, you know, the fun house, the boneyard, I was really pleased with, I found really entertaining. And, um, I'm just, you know, hoping that once this is all said and done, the WWE can take kind of what's come out of this stuff into the future. Uh, but yeah, I mean, not to go back to last night, but my biggest observation, I watched a little bit of the undertaker first look documentary after, and I just think his ability to continually reinvent the character and how it has kind of evolved. And he's no longer the American badass. He's no longer the undertaker. He's like this very in between 
kind of real person who is also able to set things on fire. <laughs> he's know? at he's at the Undertaker on Instagram. That's his latest reinvention. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. powered by Metallica. Which I mean, yeah. this may be a reinvention that he can get some uh, mileage out of for you know at least a year or two potentially if if that's something he wants to do. Yeah, and you know I think especially with what we're doing now, I I. I think the promotion should take a pause, but if anything this weekend has showed us, it's that wrestling is totally open to different ways of producing their content. And I, uh, I just, uh, was wondering what you guys think if WWE really will apply kind of what we've seen this week and, and the weeks leading up to this and in their future programming. Thanks for listening to me. <laughs> Thanks for putting up with yesterday. Hey, Jackie, you came across crystal clear tonight. So all, all is good. Thank you for calling in. And we, uh, you made it got to connect. Yeah. I mean, that's, that will be the ultimate question when things go, go and resume, like how much of this do they take lessons from of how they presented their television um, in terms of any kind of a break, not unless they are absolutely forced to. I think that's it's literally they will be kicking and screaming before they stop uh, producing a- any new shows like they were actively promoting the pay-per-view tonight. I think it's all systems go. And if that's the mindset, again, uh, I've repeated this point, but I I would have really looked at a lot of these matches that you taped tonight of like this could have covered you for at least four weeks, probably longer, given uh, some of the length here and it's not ideal. It's not ideal if you have to put these on TV and break stuff up with commercials. But I look at the overall time you would be saving and putting your performers at home when they should be home. Uh, that to me is a way bigger uh, priority than producing WrestleMania like we used to. So but I, I I feel like a broken record at this point where we're talking about that. They have shown zero indication that they're going to be slowing down anything as long as they have that ability. We got a MJ from NJ right now. Please unmute your microphone. You're on the air. I said I wasn't going to call in tonight. I told myself, night two, give it a rest. But my man got the girl. I wrote you guys feedback like six, seven weeks ago that I wanted to see Otis versus Dolph Ziegler at WrestleMania. Uh, best mid to low card feud in WWE in a long, long time. I think you can go a long way with it. Um, I would have Otis behind Mandy as Mandy goes for the uh, w- uh, the women's title. And then do a Tucker-Otis feud where Tucker is jealous that he lost his best friend to the girl. Um, anyway, hey, don't uh, stop taking calls tonight until you hear from Brandon from New Jersey. I need to hear that guy talk about the last two nights of uh, the, the Boneyard and the Firefly Flunhouse. Well, as usual, it's it's sometimes very hard to find Brandon, so I, I don't know where his location is. But we're here. He's got to he's got to show up. So he's more than welcome. Later, okay. guys. Thank you, MJ. Thank you, MJ. David, you are on the air. Please unmute your microphone and let us know what you thought of hey. WrestleMania. Hey guys, um, uh, first time caller, um, and hello from wonderful, beautiful New Zealand. Oh, oh wow, although, New Zealand. What, what time? Yeah, is it although. There? Oh, the time at the moment is exactly four o'clock in the afternoon. Oh, perfect. Nice. Um, so, so you got a nice yeah. uh, Monday morning WrestleMania. I did. I got a nice Sunday morning WrestleMania as well, which was which was also nice. Um, no, I'm just um, I'm beyond excited because um, my hometown boy Drew uh, won the title tonight, so that's really good. 
Okay, so so you're uh, originally from from the UK, and now you live in New Zealand. Actually, oh yeah, no, I'm from Scotland. I actually went to school with him back in the. You day. went to school with him. Wow. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I actually got choke slammed on a table from him <laughs> at some point. This story gets like, more, when and more I was interesting. Like 50. I know. Hey, um, no, it was awesome. And you know what? I actually really, really enjoyed um, Edge Randy Orton, and and I, and now I realize that's an unpopular opinion, but um, uh, I think that. If you're going to do all this kind of stuff, like the no arena and all of that kind of thing, it really lends to if you go real gritty and as realistic as possible. And for some reason, I just really dug it. I thought it was awesome. And if you can summon tears while on top of a truck holding a chair, uh, you know, that's some good chops. Listen, I I think that that match, it's it's going to get more of the criticism because of the, the length of time. But... I mean, it still to me was like it was a captivating match that just the, the the time like you can't properly assess that match without going over the time. But listen, I I was there with you for like the first half of that match. I thought it was really compelling stuff. And I thought overall, like I was still very impressed with what Edge did th- this many years removed. And I would take that as like a personal triumph on his part. And um I just think the presentation there, there's lessons to be learned from tonight of what did not work. And I'm certain that he would be someone that would be uh, most uh, open to looking at what didn't work as opposed to just uh, ignoring criticism and and looking at how can I make this better? Because he really strikes me as that kind of person that would Mm. be as much dissecting this as, as any critic would be. Mm. And I'll leave you with one other thing. Um, So, so that, um, could you see potentially like some sort of HBO style special for old wrestlers who might be a <laughs> bit past their prime, you know? And then so every now and then you'll have like, oh, it's Undertaker versus I don't know some other guy, and it's just a full-on kind of like Breaking Bad style, Lich Underground style match. So there, there can definitely be too much of a good thing, you know? Yeah, I, 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 yes. I think I think that you can look at the examples, okay? Because <clears throat> Last night, like a lot of people were talking about, you know, two predecessors in Lucha Underground and and Matt Hardy and the Broken Universe. And with Lucha Underground, yes, they did stuff like this and they played with death and resurrection and a lot of out there stuff. And there came a point where the audience pushed back and they got they got burned out of this stuff. And those their audience in time just tuned out of this stuff and they got tired of it. And with Matt Hardy, as much as everyone praises the final deletion, not too many of us talk about the episode where that thing was like, I think the whole episode, if not at least a full hour of it. And it was way too much. Mm -hmm. So it has to be done to me judiciously. And to me, judiciously is once a year, The Undertaker does this. Or once Mm -hmm. a year, you're going to do the Firefly Funhouse. Because if it becomes a regular occurrence, it loses the uniqueness and that's what it's coasting on this weekend. It's, it was so unique. It was so different. It had high production quality. There was a lot of thought put into it and you can, I think, appreciate the work that went into that. But if this became a monthly staple or you were to do a whole uh, episode of SmackDown like this, I think you hit that wall. And that's something that when WWE latches onto a good thing, they can often just beat it into the ground and all of a sudden, yeah, you, you've beaten the uniqueness out of it. So I think you can mm. take a lot of positive from this, but also have to understand that there there will be a pushback if you go too far in this direction. But that's my I opinion. Mean, 
as always, John, a, a good point. Well made. Um, I'll leave it. I'll leave it to you guys. Um, stay safe and thanks for taking my call. Thank you, David. Let's stay in the southern hemisphere. We go to Matthew. Matthew, please unmute your mic. You're on the air. Once you hello, John and Way. How are we? Hey, Matthew. Nice to hear from you. Um. So, well, you know, everybody's going to say, you know, it's a good show. They have their opinions, and I'm going to go for the perspective. The, 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 but perspective of sorry it's been a long day um the perspective of what's happening afterwards um was raw and smackdown taped for this coming week raw was taped smackdown was not okay um because we've got about i think it's about five weeks until money in the bank whether that takes place or not and i feel like it should be the you know one of one or two weeks put out some of those wrestlemania matches um you know have the the have some interviews have some packages promos whatever to build up to money in the bank um, and then after that, take a whole week to have a draft. Like in my head, it was, you know, have a main draw, have the main draft on Raw, you know, so about like, I don't know, 20 for Raw, 20 for SmackDown. Um, and then sort of more of a lottery on SmackDown. Um, and if you want to give, because it is on Fox, and you um, give them sort of something NXT related. So uh, each brand gets three picks from NXT, something like that. Um, just something different. And then... You know, I think it's two weeks after that they'll have. And I think I really think you can build up money in the bank if it goes ahead with the current circumstances with interviews, promos, highlights, documentaries like they've proven they can do it. They've proven that they can build up a show pretty well, at least with minimal, minimal wrestling. I agree with you. I think that. The counter to that is that we have seen ratings uh, plummeting, but they may have been plummeting regardless of whether you had new wrestling on these shows or not. And it's been a mix right now of these empty arena shows that have had wrestling. Personally, I I would if you are going ahead this week and you're going to do all these bulk tapings, I think you lean on everything you can. WrestleMania matches, Chronicle, the Edge documentary. The last thing I want to do is bring all these guys in and they've got to wrestle three to four times over the course of two or three days. I think, and at the end of it, it's half of them have to do ladder matches for an empty arena. It, to me, is, uh, I would be leaning on every available resource I have to fill out these uh, five hours a week of Raw and SmackDown um, with non-wrestling content. And that can be done in many different ways. Like, they have quality content, and that that's certainly the way I would go about it. I think at the end of the day, it's like not everybody's going to be happy. I think that... As you said, like um, the documentary with Edge, the documentary with about Drew, it is captivating stuff, and it's not going to be everybody's cup of tea. the The general audience may not like to watch this stuff. They may come to watch Raw, SmackDown for wrestling. And at the end of the day, in these times, I just don't think it's going to happen. I think the health of of the production crew and the wrestlers is more important than putting on a traditional wrestling show. At the end of the day, a hundred percent. Thank you so much for the call, Matthew. Appreciate it. We appreciate it. No worries. Have a good day, guys. You too. Brandon from New Jersey. Oh, he made it. You ask and we shall deliver. Please unmute yourself if you're available next to your microphone. Hello? There he is. There's that voice. How are you? Where were you last night? (laughs) Were you hiding in Monarch Park? (laughs) (laughs) Oh. <laughs> you, you sound like an ex-girlfriend. <laughs> Where were you at at nine o'clock at night? 
We wanted to hear from you. I'll tell you I where remember. he was. I'll tell you where he was, John. This man was betraying us, <laughs> listening to the Laps Fan Podcast oh. and their WrestleMania review. I, I know what you've been up to, Brandon. I know why. why look look at Way. Way is uh, the detective here. I had no idea where you were. Oh man! Listen, I remember well, when I was in helpful. Toronto walking barefoot in Monarch Park. It was it was wonderful. You know, Way hasn't seen this yet, and as you being such a fan of Toronto, I hope one day you do visit. Um, man, there was a lot of Toronto in this from Monarch Park, uh, dude. Dean Blundell and Todd Shapiro are in this documentary. <laughs> Way has got to get on this. No, I can't wait. Uh, this documentary is awesome. I, I, it's probably one of the better ones they've done. Yeah, we've I built mean, it up I, too much. I'm, I'm worried about setting expectations too high for Way, and we don't want to like uh, have a Edge Randy Orton situation for Way. So <laughs> we'll, we'll see. We want to get his un, unfiltered opinion tomorrow night on Rewind to Raw. Couple couple things that I'll, I'll, I'll leave. Um, uh, that that who who aging at that uh, that Edge and. Uh, and Orton match. I, I mean, it, it went too long. I, I it could have it could have been better if it was a little, I don't know shorter or whatnot. But well, uh, and that's that's the question too. Is that in under normal circumstances? I mean, you say okay, it was a bad call. We went too long. In this case, like you did have the ability to to cut stuff, and for whatever reason, they. I mean, I I assume this was the unedited version. I mean, maybe the real version was an hour, um, but it was uh, to me certainly. You look at that and. Maybe it was just too much of a respect thing for Edge and Orton. They had done this big program. We're not going to uh, chop their match away in an editing room. That's the only idea I can come with of why you don't shave off some of that because it's um, you did have that option. It, it, uh, who was who the guy that directed 300? Huh? Asking it, the wrong. Oh, um, oh, Todd uh, uh, Snyder. Uh, I wonder if there's a Snyder cut for, for, for this match. Jeez. And uh, and the the uh, the Firefly Funhouse match, I thought it was very David Lynch like. Uh, John Cena's pr- pr- trapped in the in the Funhouse forever. It's like very Twin Peaks like. Uh, I thought it was it was different, creative. Uh, I think it was better than the Boneyard match, and and I I, I kind of dug that too. Uh, I mean, except the AJ Fish part sticking out on the ground. I mean, I kind of thought that was lame, but it was still good. Uh, it was different. And uh, one more thing, uh, John. Uh, do you think uh, Carol Baskin's third, third husband? You think he actually left to uh, Costa Rica and uh, helped start Bodog Fight with Calvin Air? Jesus, I didn't know where you were going with on that one. <laughs> I love you guys. Uh, I'll talk to you later. Bye. Okay. All right. That's uh, Brandon from New Jersey, and we're uh, we're one of his top ten favorite shows. So uh, <laughs> we will be talking about Tiger King on Tuesday night for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. We're gonna. Did you hear that? There, apparently, there's a new episode along uh, on the way for Netflix. They're doing another episode. Really? Like one yes. more? Just one? This is uh, the uh, the Affliction guy. Apparently, uh, let this uh, huh? tidbit slip. So, why, how is he involved? In what? In the episode? The the guy who was in the in. Feature. Oh, sorry. I thought you were talking Wearing about the affliction. I was stuff. thinking Calvin Iyer. Like no, I, no, you no, had no, me no. thinking about the dude from Botong. Because of Brandon, Brandon's no, reference. No, I was so Calvin Air won't be in this uh, episode. Okay. I don't believe. Uh, I don't think so. I, it, you know, um, we're, we're all discombobulated, and I think the only thing that might be able to set us straight is the voice of our man Neil ending the uh, phone calls for the evening. Neil, what did you think of WrestleMania Night Two? Hello, guys. How's it going? 
Hello, Neil. It's really nice to talk to you. It feels like it's been a wee while. I don't know why, but uh, yeah, uh, way really good job today on the radio show. I uh, oh, saw your tweet thanks. and I thought, Jesus, you don't miss anything, do you, Neil? Well, I follow you both. I don't even know what radio show he was on, but you're... you're well, I can't remember the name of the station. I was on uh, The not. Fan with uh, Roger Lajoie talking uh, yeah. Mania Night One, actually. It was, yeah. well, it was very easy to find on the TuneIn app, so, uh, and very, very handily on the tweet, it said what time you'd be on, so I just added on five hours, and it was when I happened to be luxuriating on my city, so I thought, I'll stick way on, and uh, you did a really good interview. Thank you. Which, of course, would be what we all expect and i also just wanted to say uh to both you guys thanks again for all you're doing and i mean i know you hear this all the time but uh thursday was terrific i thought in particular and i know that you've both said on social media how it was one of your favorite shows and it just i mean it was a really good effort by everyone i thought yeah it, it, that feels like it was uh, a month ago already that's kind of how time moves these days but uh yeah i really enjoyed that show it was uh it was great it was uh it was a lot of fun it was incredible. Yeah, and it was really, really good. And uh, I also just on, on, on a personal note, and I know all all of our families need to deal with this, myself included. But, John, John you said when you were talking on non-aerials podcast, um, you know, you've got a family member who's a who's a key worker, who's uh, uh, who's, you know, having to go out to work out every day. Way you're you've talked. I mean, this isn't. Yeah private info i'm not hope i'm not getting too close to home but you you have said as well about your fiance and you know taking her to and from you know mm-hmm. our thoughts are with all of those people you know I, I i think that goes for it probably goes without saying and maybe i shouldn't have even bothered but you know i, I just want to put it out there you know that uh yeah uh, no we completely echo your sentiment anybody who has to go to work um please uh you know you have our best and if you don't have to go outside please don't yeah, absolutely. But sorry, as usual, when I get the chance, I'm going on to. So I'll keep my thought on WrestleMania very short. It's just the creative process for uh, the uh, Firefly Funhouse. I just I cannot understand how how you get Vince McMahon to greenlight that. I, I suspect he may have said, "Guys, I I don't know what you want to do, but just go off and do it because this is a." These are two nights where we, I mean, where we uh, can, you know, push the envelope a little bit. I mean, it's really hard to see him green, green lighting that. And I do wonder, you know, because we always hear about the the creative process in WWE being, uh, you know, committees of writers and everything has to go past Vince. And that's how you end up with such a bland product. But as you, you both were saying, especially you, I seem to be more enamored with it than John. It was one of the more creative things they've done that I can re- even remember. I mean, creative in, it, in in its in its true sense, you know. And it was a bit artistic. Um, it was not one for the casuals. It would they would just think, "My God, what is this?" You know. But if you understood the references in it, very deep cuts, and um, I loved it much more than the uh, the 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 boneyard match. And uh, I wonder what you suspect. Uh, it's not much of a question, really, but I wonder what you suspect about the the, the creative process there, what they, uh, what uh, may have transpired. And uh, thanks for taking my call, guys. Thank you, Neil. Thanks very much, Neil. We appreciate it. Uh, you know, it's a, it's a great question, and I don't imagine we'll really know until, you know, something leaks out behind the scenes or we wait for a big podcast where somebody describes it. But, you know, from what we, we, we can gather, a lot of these Firefly Funhouse segments have been, you know, a great deal of just 
creative leeway for Bray Wyatt, hasn't it? I mean, Bray, like you can see, very hands-on. I mean, you know, on SmackDown, like you have to uh, look at like Bruce Pritchard is like leading SmackDown. And ultimately, like the final filter is always Vince McMahon. So as much as you can criticize Vince McMahon for when bad stuff makes it onto the air, you also have to go the opposite way when something is, is positive that gets on there because nothing is going on to these shows that Vince McMahon is not signing off on. So that that comes with the criticism, but it should also come with the praise as well. Agreed. Want to go to some feedback on the board. We'll try to get as much uh, as we can. Yeah, we can uh, do a few here uh, from people. We'll start off with Xavier. Uh, he says, I don't know what happened during the Bray match, but I was thoroughly entertained and happy. Was this the first mental warfare match? As for Orton and Edge, I really enjoyed it. Do you think it was improved by having it in an empty arena slash performance center? I think if it, I think if it was in a regular stadium, it would have been your standard last man standing match, which I'm not a fan of. I like that they used the entire performance center to brawl around in. Went five minutes too long, but whatever. Only sad part was not hearing the insane pop Edge would have gotten walking out. Um, I think it would have been a totally different match in a stadium. You're not going backstage. You're not disappearing from the crowd. Uh, it would probably be trying to use the stadium setting and going around. Uh, last man standing match, though, in a stadium, that's really tough to do. Yeah, I don't expect the, that they would have done uh, nearly the same type of match uh, if it was that, if that was the case. We got a Ben who says, I felt night two dragged a lot more than night one. I was excited for Orton and Edge after watching the 24. But 40 minutes of sweating on hard surfaces everywhere was unnecessary. I like the finish, but would have been better 20 minutes sooner. Otis and Mandy would have had the biggest pop in the stadium. They had some actual booking plan for that. I did enjoy it, though. The real talking point will be the Firefly Funhouse. I, for one, loved it. It was clever. It told a story. It was different. I hope WWE learns from the Boneyard and the Firefly. They were both a success in my eyes. Jeremy in Texas. Those Hollywood writers are actually earning their money. In two nights, WWE managed to produce two different but very entertaining segments. I thought the Boneyard match was better, but the Funhouse match was so off the wall and went with the current break character, it worked. And you know John Cena, who seems to be a very weird guy in his own in his own right, enjoyed doing it too. Curious to see if WWE would consider splitting WrestleMania into two nights moving forward. I thought it helped the flow of the show overall. When you go past four hours, it starts to be way too long for any show. All right, we got a John in Baltimore who says the Firefly Funhouse match was so brilliant. Seriously, amazing long-term storytelling, even if much of it fell into the WWE's lap given the current circumstances. I laughed, I cried, I was confused, and I clapped. Give Cena an Oscar for this performance. Otherwise, the matches were all very entertaining except on the WWE title match. I'm bummed that both main title matches just came down to spamming finishers and lasted a few minutes. Despite the warranted con concerns of these matches taking place during this crisis, I still was thankful to have Mania this weekend to be a good distraction. Nick from Lansing, I thought this was fantastic. I was entertained or drawn in by the story of every match. I can definitely understand if people thought Edge and Orton went too long, but I felt they had earned it. Will from Toronto again, who says Mojo and Kronk can say they won a title at WrestleMania for the rest of their lives. My personal favorite thing from the night was JBL saying, we don't have a break. Go anywhere. Go to the blimp view when Mandy kissed Otis. A pretty forgettable first half, but Edge and Orton went too long. But WWE film saves the night again and the movie-esque mini-film of Wyatt and Cena. That was amazing. We should mention as well, like there was a lot of advertising tonight on the network. Like they had uh, uh, Hyundai, Modelo, Final Fantasy, 5-Hour Energy. 
Experian, Cricket Wireless, Snickers, and your favorite way, Takis. Or talk, what, what Takis. What is it? Of Takis. Course. And John Cena was in like multiples of these ads. He was there for, for Takis. He was there for Experian. Was that more than yesterday? It seemed tonight, like I wasn't keeping count last night, but it seemed like there was much more uh, commercials on tonight's show. So, I mean, this looking at this year, it seemed like there was a concerted effort to monetize WrestleMania from every possible – like we were going to squeeze that rag of every drop, putting it on the Fox app, putting it on Fight, opening up the ad inventory and – I mean, it just seemed like they were they were going for every dollar available to make off of WrestleMania this year. Interesting. Okay, so maybe that had something to do with them wanting this thing on every platform, varying prices. JD, I have yet to hear from anyone, though, that bought it for $60, but mm-hmm. I don't imagine I'm going to be hearing from anyone either. JD writes, another fun night, lots of fun matches. I think that Rhea Ripley and Charlotte absolutely killed it. I, I did too. We haven't really brought that up. Like, I, I thought that match was great tonight. Mm-hmm. Although I was very bored during Edge and Orton. Honestly, this mania has been great, split over two nights and really fun. Great job from WWE. But let's not talk wrestling. Let's talk fucking art, lads. Unironically, the funhouse was something I loved. The deconstruction of the Cena myth is a great evocation of wrestling as art and literature. It was weird, but the meta story was fascinating. I doubt it will be replicated, but I'm glad to have seen it. Chris, I mean, if you're into it, you're into it. If you're not, I mean, you're not. And it's it, it would absolutely, I think, by, by definition, be a pretty polarizing type of thing for a wrestling show. Um but I and, I and mean, that's not that's not the worst thing either. Like that's mm-hmm. that if sometimes you like it, can be a good thing. The, the worst is apathy across the board, right? Yes. We got yeah, a Chris. There was none of that. Like it was like these were the two most talked about segments of each night by by leaps and bounds. We got a Chris Ken who says for the first time in a month, all my buddies got together on Zoom and watched both nights. All worries aside, they did exactly what they set out to do, which was for two evenings I was distracted and I had a great time. I love the Firefly Funhouse Mansion. I thought it was a unique take that distinguished itself from last night's main event. I thought last night was a lot better of the two evenings, but I have no complaints. Adam in Wellington, New Zealand. Overall, really enjoyable show, and I preferred this over the first night for sure. Bray and Cena was better than the Boneyard match. I said it. I remember being pissed off when Cena beat Bray at WrestleMania 30, and this played to that perfectly. Was this a match? I'm not too sure. But as far as being a story told about a wrestling feud, this was a hit for me. Um, You know, Way, the only natural for WrestleMania next year is the rematch from WrestleMania 2015 when we get The Undertaker versus Bray Wyatt again in the Boneyard Funhouse. (laughs) The Boneyard Funhouse. That's that, the only way you build from this for next year. I think you say that say that for like WrestleMania forty or even WrestleMania fifty. Oh, dude, uh, I don't. Undertaker might have gotten some some extra miles, but that dude's not seeing WrestleMania forty. Oh man, that's only three years away. Three WrestleManias away. I feel like th- there's a possibility. Yeah, I, I'm definitely going out on a limb by making that uh, prognostication. But my God, could you imagine? Yeah. Um. Yeah. No. Certainly, it's uh. It's it's a very strange kind of thing set of circumstances we're talking about here. We got to you, you know who they needed in the funhouse tonight was they finally needed to get fabulous from that that WrestleMania that he no showed to yeah. do the rap battle with Cena. 
That feels like that would have been right in line with the humor of this thing that all these years later, Fabulous shows up to freestyle John Cena in 2020. If they went to that deep of a cut, like... (laughs) I think they would be on a different level. Listen, think- for what who this was written for, every single person gets that. No, I don't know about that. Fabulous, That's a th- fabulous is a very deep cut. I I think we'll that- throw it out to the chat room. I mean, okay, maybe our audience remembers it, but anyway, we got to <laughs> that would be really strange. We got a Surin from And how many people even know who Fabulous is in 2020? Oh, well, it's it's really funny now in 2020 to say that Fabulous didn't come to work with John Cena, who is now like upteen times the star that Fabulous is, mm-hmm. he, uh, whatever it is, 17 years later. All right, we got a Surin from Portland who says, I have such a hard time with these crowdless shows. I'm no longer watching weekly, but still keep up with your recaps. I still had to watch WrestleMania, though, out of curiosity, but with no crowd and all that yelling and grunting, I'm fairly certain my neighbors think that I've been watching adult entertainment instead. Few thoughts. The Firefly Funhouse match was no boneyard match. When Dolph low-blowed Otis and Michael Cole yelled, the official never saw it. The official not hear Michael Cole screaming this from 10 feet away in an empty building. Suspend that disbelief. Yeah. Chris from Pennsylvania. Just one thought about the Firefly Funhouse segment. WWE always seems so concerned with appealing to the casual fan. Brock, Ronda, Gronk, bringing back the legends, etc. So it was really shocking to see a segment like this that would be so confusing to someone who just checks in once a year to watch WrestleMania. There were so many references, and I feel like I need to rewatch it a couple of more times to get them all. It was weird as hell, but I appreciate the amount of thought that went into it. Jesse from Taipei, who says no better way to start your week than by watching John Cena and The Fiend in a funhouse match on a Monday morning. John, you said that this match would have to be different from the Boneyard match. Well, it was certainly different. I liked Edge and Orton, but it should have been about eight minutes shorter. I enjoyed the multi-women Smackdown title match, which surprised me because I didn't care about it going in, but I thought they did a good job. Weren't there supposed to be six women, though? Well, yes. Um, Dana Brooke couldn't make it, fortunately. McIntyre versus Lesnar was lame. I think the last match I enjoyed of Lesnar's was against Finn Balor. I thought MJ from NJ made a good point on the up next watch along. These finisher spamming kick out of out at one matches are totally designed for audience reactions. Without a crowd, you see these lame Lesnar and Goldberg matches for what they are. Lazy. WWE should move past this. I'm all for short matches, but try a different formula. Take care. I think you just you pick one though this weekend, and I, I had we had zero complaints about Goldberg and Braun Strowman last night, but tonight it just seemed like it was just way too much of like the exact same blueprint that it just felt. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, Lesnar and McIntyre, I did have some expectation for Goldberg and Braun. That's exactly how I would have put that match together. But tonight's match, I I wanted to actually see something from these two, and it was I just agree. very limited. Andrew from Cape Breton. Night two was not as good as night one. I didn't mind the Drew Brock match being as short as it was, and I didn't expect much to happen in the PC. Edge and Orton was okay, but went too long. Of course, everyone is thinking about the Firefly Funhouse. While I love old school wrestling and nostalgia, it was a great segment, but not really a match. Uh, Accurate. As ridiculous as the Boneyard match was in parts, it took itself somewhat seriously in the body of... I think we're giving the Boneyard match some extra points here when (laughs) from dust to dust. Um, But anyway... um, it will probably get a laugh or a reaction, but the guy stands there, looks around, then falls and throws his groceries in the air and falls down pretending to slip. It's not as funny. It felt like the Firefly Funhouse was just bad comedy done for the sake of it, whereas the Boneyard match was at least a match where two people wanted to fight. So while it wasn't as bad as the House of Horrors or New Day versus the Wyatts at the compound, 
I wouldn't put this at the same level as the ultimate deletion. He says he would. Oh, he would. Sorry. Which one was the ultimate deletion? The last one? The WWE one. one. Yeah. Oh, the WWE one. Okay. Uh, but nothing much to write home about. Five out of ten show tonight. I mean, I have to disagree when, when he says that it was just bad comedy done for the sake of it. That's what it appeared to be on the surface, but... I felt Listen, there, there this thought more. and the presentation, like this blew away prior WWE ones. And I'm not even someone that that's, you know, was, was crazy about the Firefly Funhouse. But to me, it was leagues above like the Wyatt compound or, um, you know, similar attempts at this. We're uh, approaching two hours here in our broadcast. So maybe we'll just do two more pieces of feedback. First, we got a Stevie French from Liberty Village who says, great two nights overall. I find it funny how the style of a main event match has gone from the times of old and 60 minute time limit draws to today's main event style of hitting your finishers each four times and going home. Seven out of ten, in my opinion, over both nights. And the final word goes to Charles from Richmond. Loved WrestleMania. I think a combination of the short length and edited matches really worked. If they do end up running more big shows in our current situation, I hope they at least learn from this. As for what everyone's talking about, I really enjoyed the Firefly Funhouse match, and I think these production matches going mainstream may be what helps turn around the downward trend that the WWE is experiencing. It's anecdotal, but I have lots of casual friends that either stopped watching wrestling or never watched that love these shows. I agree that it cannot be every month, but it's different from what's currently bleeding viewers week after week. I agree with John's point about this not working in front of a live crowd. I think they can solve this by putting these productions after the show in the same spot as the short documentaries like 24, 365, or Chronicle. Maybe move these forward in the timeline and use them as part of the promotion for their events. I just don't think it would be the same, you know, without that same level of anticipation that you typically give uh, an actual match on a pay-per-view, we wouldn't really be talking about it. We wouldn't even be talking about it on, on this because it does not feel as important, you know, if it was just a network special. Well, and I would argue that the undertaker to do this WrestleMania is the time to do it. And then if that's the choice, like maybe you just you have to decide that this is not going to be a great live viewing experience for those in the stadium. But this is being delivered to the mass audience that is watching at home. And you just have to make that decision because there's no way around that. Um, I feel like there's still a compromise, though. And I don't I can't really recall an example right now, but I believe there there have been examples where you go from an in-ring setting to something pre-taped and on screen. And then back again. You can you can still have the pinfall finally take place in the ring while still giving people, you know, that pre-produced element. Well, they did that with with Goldust and Roddy Piper where it was, mm-hmm. you know, the the OJ chase and then they end up in the ring at the end of it all. Um yeah, it's to to me it's just like watching this on the screen for 20 minutes in that stadium. It'd be really tough on the audience. I think they would treat it closer to intermission, and it'd just be such a different experience. You wouldn't be able to hear all of the lines. Everyone would be reacting at different points. It's just a different experience. But, you know, it's you're talking about 60,000 people versus, you know, the audience that's watching at home, which is much, much larger. So you you always weigh that. Sometimes we'll watch an episode of raw where it's much less wrestling content in the ring, but it's lots of backstage stuff, which there, this is a television show that happens to have a live audience. That is not always going to be the number one priority to the larger amount watching. Big discussion about fabulous right now going on in the chat from John, um, a range of comments. A lot of people do remember fabulous. Um, Bruhaven says, wasn't it supposed to be Jay Z? John Cena says F A B O. Yes. Uh, Bruhaven also says, who's Fabulous? MJ says, I admittedly don't remember this, but I 100% know who Fabulous is. Brandon from New Jersey, of course, knows who he is. And uh, there you go. Uh, 
a lot of people discussing fabulous and thank you everybody for watching us live in the chat room right now for this broadcast thank you everybody for tuning us uh, into us uh, live yesterday as well this uh, live broadcast is available for double double ice cap and espresso patrons as are all of our pay-per-view post shows so if you like this and want to experience the chat room and want to call in do consider signing up for that particular tier Yes, thanks to everyone that tuned in all weekend long. We're going to be back on Monday with Rewind to Raw. We will go through the night after WrestleMania that's already been taped. And uh, whatever they have, uh, if there's any more news regarding what they're planning to do with SmackDown this week and moving forward in the weeks to come. Dana White announced tonight that he is going to announce the card for UFC 249 on Monday. Oh, wow. Okay. How far are we away from that? Uh, Two weeks. Two weeks away. All right. Um, let's see. So we'll do that. And uh, if you get a chance to watch the Edge documentary, we can chat about that on Monday night as well. So uh, keep it tuned to postwrestling.com. We'll have all the latest news and the schedule for all the shows coming up this week. Uh, lots of great stuff to look out for. So thank you to everyone. And Store.postwrestling.com. One more time. One last time for our uh, we're, I wasn't there t-shirt uh, with all proceeds going to the Sunnybrook Foundation and the New York Community Trust. That is available pretty much for the rest of the, uh, pretty much until Raw is probably when I'll take it down. So store.postwrestling.com is pretty much your last chance to get the shirt. Good night. <laughs>